This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. The death of George Floyd in police custody has cast an international spotlight on Minneapolis and spurred nationwide discussions about police reform. A majority of the city council has pledged to, quote, begin the process of ending the Minneapolis Police Department. Precisely what that means remains to be seen. But this topic has been simmering for many years at Minneapolis City Hall, and reporter Andy Mannix joins us today to provide some context about past attempts at reforming the department. This background could be very useful in the weeks and months to come as the city wades further into the issue. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Andy has been following both law enforcement and criminal justice issues for the paper for a long time, and he has been tracking the Minneapolis Police Department for quite a while as a part of that beat. And so he's been really on top of a lot of the policy discussions that have been going on over the years. So Andy, we can talk ancient history when it comes to discussions of reforming the Minneapolis Police Department. Just for the beginning of this conversation, let's focus on the current cast of characters in leadership at City Hall. Mayor Fry came into office. This was a big part of his platform. He actually sort of ran on reform of the police department, right? Yeah, that's correct. When Fry was running his campaign and when he came into office, he listed three priorities, affordable housing, economic inequality, and repairing the relationship between the Minneapolis Police Department and the communities it serves. And that last one dealt a lot with how to reform the Minneapolis Police Department, how to create more transparency and sort of push back against this culture that had been there for a long time that was causing problems with the relationship with the community. Do you see any sort of core successes that he's had since then or that the city leadership has had in those years? I think it's been mixed. You know, one thing that you can point to as a success is that he, after the shooting of Justine Damon, and after it came out that the police officer who shot her wasn't wearing, well, was wearing a body camera, but it wasn't on, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry and Chief Arredondo both came out and said, we're going to really tighten up the rules here on body cameras, because if people aren't turning them on during these times when we desperately need an objective point of view of what happened in an incident, then why do we have them? So to to their credit, they really tightened up those rules. They said, you know, we're not going to stand anymore for people not turning them on. We're going to do these regular audits. People are going to be disciplined if they're not turning them on. And the rates of people turning them on went way up. Then there's some mixed examples, like you have Fry coming out very publicly in, I believe it was his State of the City speech and saying, we are going to ban, we're going to become the first city in America to ban this warrior training, this warrior style training, which teaches police officers to see everyone as a threat until deemed otherwise. So they come in seeing red and they basically assess the situation through that lens until they determine that someone isn't a threat. This is a really popular school of thought, especially among younger generations of officers. And there's a belief that this is what leads officers to shoot people that are unarmed or that aren't posing a threat because they come in hot in that seeing red mentality. So Mayor Jacob Fry said, we're not going to allow people to do that anymore. They can't even have that training on their own time. The police union basically comes out and says, well, you can't tell us what to do. 
on our own time. And, and in fact, we're going to offer free training for Minneapolis police officers who want this warrior style training. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he's come out. He really has, I think, thrown down some markers and, and tried to do some concrete things. But the success has been mixed. And so, you know, here we are today where we have a majority of the city council proposing dramatic changes to the Minneapolis Police Department, although it remains sort of unclear precisely what they have in mind. Rewinding two years ago, there was another sort of flashpoint, much less intense than today, where the city council really wanted to assert more control over the police department. So what was sort of what was driving that and what was sort of the big discussion there? So you have in the 2017 election, a new mayor elected and then a lot of new city council members. And this was really a pushback on what a lot of people saw as like the stalwart, these council members have been around too long, they're not progressive enough. So in that election, we lost a lot of people who had been there for a really long time, and the city council gained some really fresh new faces. For example, Philippe Cunningham and Andrew Jenkins, the first two transgender city council members of color in the United States both elected in the same election in Minneapolis. You have people like Jeremiah Allison, who came to prominence as a political candidate out of another police shooting that happened in 2015. Where and he the was protests. at the protests, right. He yeah, was, at, and he was, was at a fo- the protests related to that. Right. So people like him are coming to political prominence and being elected as city council members on the promise of reform and on the promise of being different. Months after they all take office in June of 2018, we have this incredible series of events, one of them being it comes to light that Minneapolis police officers have been dedicating a lot of resources to these undercover stings of low-level marijuana, mostly marijuana stings, downtown Minneapolis, undercover bus, almost entirely, if not 100%, young men of color, young black men and some of whom went to prison. And the mayor comes out and says, we're going to stop doing this. We're going to put an end to this. Why are we devoting all of these resources to, by all accounts, nonviolent young men of color for marijuana? Which, by the way, the mayor has come out and said it should be legal. That same month, we have the shooting of Thurman Blevins, a black man by a police officer. And then we have the ketamine controversy, which came out after the Star Tribune reported. You, you reported. After I reported that (laughs) there had been a study by police oversight civil rights investigators that had at the time never been published and had been kind of sitting on a shelf for a while that showed that Minneapolis police officers were urging paramedics to sedate people with ketamine in situations where it just didn't really seem necessary, but they're sedating them with this with this drug that ends up leaving a lot of them in the hospital with a breathing tube down their throat. So mm-hmm. all this happened in a month. And in this month, the city council, you know, largely made up of these new people, realized they don't have any power over the police department. We have what's, what's thought of as a weak mayor system, strong council system, which means that a lot of stuff has to go through the council. The mayor doesn't have a lot of executive authority, but one of the few places he does is he has executive authority over the police department. So the city council basically said, we want to change the charter. We want to change the Minneapolis constitution, and we want to make it so there's shared power over the police department. And as you say, this became an, a hugely explosive issue. And Fry opposed that measure. Fry massively opposed it. And, you know, from his perspective, he's a new mayor. This goes back to the original charter of Minneapolis. And, you know, I think a lot of people saw it as uh, challenging his authority or challenging his ability, a sort of vote of no confidence 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a new mayor, he's young, he's coming in and, and, and he's promising to make these changes and he wants to follow through with that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want this on his record as like, I'm the one, you know, who needed the city council to help. So he's holding press conferences with council allies, with community members, all these people saying, look, Jacob Fry is doing a good job here. We need to let him do his job. This is not a good idea. At the same time, they ultimately want to get it on the ballot, but it has to go through all these different red tape steps. The public hearing portions of these, which are usually at a normal city council meeting, one to three people show up, suddenly thousands of people are showing up. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this flashpoint for everything, all the frustration that the community has toward police and toward the city council. And ultimately, it fails. It doesn't get on the ballot. And, and I think that that's what we should be looking at as the most similar example of the council trying to really make serious reforms to the Minneapolis Police Department. And maybe the most recent flashpoint, but the temperature was a lot lower, was during the budget season last year, where, I mean, the city council's main sort of uh, controls over the police department are budgetary, and they were debating a Fry proposal to increase the authorized amount of police on the force, and they ended up keeping the cap where it was, but adding a new cadet class. So this has been kind of an ongoing, maybe, tension uh, at City Hall over what to do with the police department. One thing that hasn't really come up much, I feel like in Fry's term, but was a big issue historically was civilian oversight. And there was an op-ed in the paper this weekend from a very prominent former leader here in the Twin Cities. They were proposing that a better equipped civilian oversight authority could be a very significant reform for the department. What is the sort of the status of civilian oversight? Do civilians have much oversight over the Minneapolis Police Department? This battle and criticism over civilian oversight goes back to the 80s in Minneapolis. We've had different evolutions of civilian oversight, and they've always been criticized as being ineffective. The current one that we have right now is sort of a mix of police and civilians who have some measure of of oversight over police. It's supposed to be a parallel path to internal affairs, which is police investigating police. And we should add that in 2012, the legislature barred the city's civilian oversight authority from issuing findings of fact, which at the time was considered a pretty big blow to the powers of that entity. Right. And soon after that, it was blown up as, as we know it. But that, and that's when we last had a truly civilian review authority. It was all civilian oversight, didn't have police on it. But even then, they were so ineffective that it got to a point where no one wanted to be on this board because the findings of fact they were issuing didn't even become public information, let alone you know get any attention from the police chief who has disciplinary power. So they did have power to recommend discipline, and the police chief was supposed to follow that recommendation, but just didn't. Mm-hmm. And there were lawsuits over this, and there was intense public debate over this. But at the end of the day, they were just sort of ignored. Right. And so, I mean, if we look at today, I mean, it seems like things have really reached a boiling point among city council members. And we didn't mention the fact that the chief prior to Arandando, Chief Harto, came into office with an MPD 2.0 agenda, another sort of reform-minded concept, that this issue of police reform in Minneapolis has been brewing and simmering now for decades. But even just, it's been a pretty hot topic just in the last, you know, less than 10 years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Harto came in as someone 
she replaced Chief Tim Dolan. She was a woman. She was openly gay. She had a different philosophy and she was going to do things differently. And then we saw her after another police shooting of Justine Damon, a woman in South Minneapolis by a Minneapolis police officer who was ultimately convicted of murder. We have her being fired or resigning or or kind of a, whatever, a mixture of both. I, I, you know, I think being asked to leave after that. So it was sort of like a lot of people saw, yes, this person when she came in was supposed to be this change agent. But then we we had a series of incidents that occurred kind of culminating the shooting of Justine Damon and then her not being there, her being on vacation and taking a few days to get back right. while the city really reeled from this, where I think a lot of she lost a lot of public trust. And that was the calculation that the mayor was doing when the decision was made that it's time for someone new. So just looking forward here, I mean, obviously it's a little confusing right now about precisely what the city council is proposing for the police department, but does it seem to you like this is their moment or they they have an avenue here to make the reforms people have been talking about for a while, or is it, you know, maybe a little less simple than people would like to believe? I think that we're seeing a lot of celebration over the idea that you have a majority of city council members saying publicly that they want to abolish the police. And I wonder if a lot of people who are celebrating that are going to feel differently over the next few months, because I think it's going to take longer than people realize. And I think that what's actually going to be accomplished might not be what people realize. We don't know yet how people define abolishing the police. My guess is if they're going to do this, if they're going to dismantle the police department, whatever that means, is that they're going to have to put it on the ballot. They're going to want Minneapolis citizens to make that decision. And until we see that policy language and until we see how the majority, not just the loudest, of residents of Minneapolis feel about that, again, I just think that there's a long way to go on this one. Well, Andy, thank you so much for talking with us today. I mean, I feel like you put a lot of context around some of the issues that have been in both national and international news about what's going on in Minneapolis. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. What do you think, listeners? Do you have thoughts about police reform in Minneapolis or elsewhere in Minnesota? We'd love to hear them. Record a brief message using the Voice Recorder app on your smartphone and email it to curious at startribune.com. We may feature it on a future episode. We also welcome your questions on other topics as well as your feedback about the podcast at the same address, curious at startribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.